If you would now, uh, I would invite you to take a Bible in hand. If you're going to use one of the Bibles in the pew rack, we're going to look at one verse here. It's on page 886. It comes from John's Gospel, the first chapter. We'll look at John chapter 1, verse 14 this evening. And as you're turning there, in this one verse, we have the reason why Christians celebrate Christmas. You could all say that this one verse provides a summary of the importance of Christmas. Before we read God's word, would you join me in prayer this evening? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a generous, gracious God. You've been so kind to undeserving sinners like us that you would send your Son to be the Savior of a rebellious people like us. We ask that in this short consideration of this verse that you would enlarge our hearts to believe and trust in Jesus, the only Savior. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God from John chapter 4, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. So far, God's word. Now kids, in the balcony, all around, watching online, imagine tomorrow morning you're going to have the opportunity to tell someone who has never heard the Christmas story the Christmas story. And so you got tonight to prepare. And so to get ready, you go home and you start listing out all the characters in the Christmas story. And then you start listing out all the events. And then you think, you know what I should do? I should grab a Bible. So you grab your Bible and you look at Matthew's gospel and you say, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, an angel comes to Joseph and then the wise men come and then Herod. And then you flip over to Luke and you say, oh, here's the part about the angel coming to Mary, and then the part about the angels coming to the shepherds. And then you go to your parents and you say, hey, I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting all the pieces of the story, and I'm really excited to get to share it with someone tomorrow morning. Are there any other things I should, I should look up in the Bible? And your parents say, well, there was a prophet, Isaiah, who told of the birth of Jesus 600 years before Jesus came. And they show you those verses. Some of those verses we read earlier tonight. And they say there's the prophet Micah who prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus' birth that he would be born in Bethlehem. And you look that up, you write it down. And then they say, you know, but actually it's in Genesis 3.15 in the very beginning of the Bible that we first are told that God would send a savior who would crush the head of Satan. So you got all your notes together, and then you remember, oh yeah, to the Christmas Eve service, we read that one verse in John's gospel about the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory, the only son, full of grace and truth. So you review your notes, and they say, all right, it's your turn. 
tell us the Christmas story. And there it is, the person who's never heard the Christmas story before. And your mind goes blank. And you forget, you start confusing the wise men and the shepherd and Isaiah and Micah. And the only thing that you can remember is, and the word became flesh. You know what? You may have left out a lot of details. You may have left out interesting parts of the story, but you shared the most important part of the story, that the word became flesh. Here we have the Christmas story in one verse. Who is the word? Well, John is describing Jesus as the word. He tells us earlier in this chapter that the word doesn't have a beginning. The word was always with God, but the word himself was God. And John's early readers, they would have thought of the Old Testament background that God created all things by his word, that God reveals himself through his word, and that through his prophets, God brings a word of salvation and judgment. They might even recall that God's word is personified as wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And so John's early readers would have said, this word that he's describing saying this is Jesus this is the word that's always been this is the word that tells us what God is like it is God's self-disclosure of who he is it's God's word personified and applies it to the ultimate self-disclosure the person of his son Jesus so the word is the same substance as God the Father, equal to him in power and glory. But then John tells us the word does something. The word became flesh. Jesus, who is the eternal son of God, became human. The divine Jesus becomes man. How does he do this? Well, the Shorter Catechism says in question 22 that the Son of God became man, taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of her, yet without sin. He didn't cease being divine, and now he takes on flesh. As Athanasius Creed puts it, he's fully God and fully man. A divine nature and a human nature in one person. I'll never forget, about a decade ago, it was in Systematic Theology 2. And I know we do have some seminary students here. That's Christology. And you don't have to be a seminary student to figure out that Christology means the study of Christ, the person of Christ. And I was taking it as a J term, that's a January term class, where you go every day for like eight hours a day uh, for a couple weeks, and it covers a whole semester's worth in a short period of time. Now, I was taking this class just after the birth of my firstborn child. And I remember just sitting in class, weeping 
with the realization that I have a newborn at home. I haven't slept in days. I've gotten more sleep than my wife has gotten, but I really, I'm, I'm exhausted. I don't know why I'm in this class. This was a crazy idea. But God, you came into this world just like my child. You humbled yourself, the word, the word who existed from before time, the word who is God, you became flesh like my crying baby at home being so moved next time you, you, you hold a baby and some of you men in here you, you should hold babies more often just for this reason as a tangible reminder that God the word came and humbled himself to become like us, but not like us in our sin, to experience real humanity, hunger, weariness, pain, weeping at the grave of Lazarus, agonizing in Gethsemane, suffering on a cross. Now, when we're telling the Christmas story, there's a very important word we must tell it's this past tense verb became go as far as to say this one word makes the Christmas story glorious this verb became here it contains all of our comfort and joy without it we cannot have peace or hope. Why do I say that? Because John moves on in this verse. That's not the only verb. This verb, this one act, he became flesh, has two consequences. And the verbs help us identify these consequences. The other verbs in this verse, dwelt and seen. He dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Dwelt means he pitched his tent it is a reference to, in the Old Testament, there was the tent of meeting where God would meet with his people and then later the tabernacle. Now, John is saying, in the word become flesh, God dwells among his people in a personal, localized way. God had sent many messengers and deliverers for his people, but when it came to the most crucial mission doing what was necessary for the salvation of sinners, God comes himself. He comes in person. Then the second consequence of the word becoming flesh is that those who saw him in his first time here, in his several decades here, they saw his glory They saw the presence of God made visible. And John tells us two aspects of this glory, that he's the only son and he's full of grace and truth. Only son here in the verse means he's the unique son. The only begotten is language that comes from this later. John is very careful. 
If you're a Christian in here tonight, uh, John would describe you as a child of God. Now, other New Testament writers would say that through adoption in Christ, you are a son adopted into the family of God. But John wants to make it clear that there was the unique son, the only son, who came. Right before our passage in John 1.12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Giving is very appropriate if we're celebrating the coming of Christ. Because here in the coming of Christ, it is the Father giving the Son to be the Savior for sinners. And then in John 1.12, it is the Son who then gives sinners the right to be children of God when they come to God trusting in Him and in His name. Then it says that they saw grace and truth in the Son. They saw kindness and faithfulness. They saw truthfulness, reliability. What did they see as they saw the Word made flesh walk among them? Grace and truth embodied. God showing undeserving kindness to sinners, His grace. In John's Gospel, Jesus turns water into wine for underserving sinners. He heals a sick little boy. He causes the lame to walk. He feeds thousands. He gives sight to a man born blind. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But ultimately, the expression of his grace is in John 10 when he says that I would lay down my life for the sheep and in doing so give them eternal life. Grace is central to his glory revealed. Truth is central to his glory revealed. He is the true one, the faithful one. The word is reliable and truthful. He speaks the truth. He testifies to the truth. He embodies the truth about God and his plan for salvation. That God cannot lie, will not lie. And as he promised the Savior, and as he promised to judge sin, he kept his promise in the word that became flesh. You see, ultimately, Jesus himself would say that his glory is most revealed in his cross. That in his death, That is the hour when he is glorified, John 12. So the word enters the world as a baby to show us that God is full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and remains flesh. He'll always be the God-man always full of grace and truth. And he receives all the glory when sinners place their trust in him. We just sang it. Nails, spear, pierced him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, Hail, the Word made flesh. Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for the gift that he gives to all who trust in his life, death, and resurrection, that they too can be your children. Would you, at this Christmas time, drive that story deep into our hearts and may it grip our imaginations and build our faith, our hope and our confidence, our peace, our comfort, and our joy that comes from knowing the Word made flesh. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.